the secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you. Whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. I'm really delighted to welcome writer, performer, and storyteller Bernadette Russell onto the podcast. Bernadette joins me to talk about the many benefits of kindness and hope. Now, you might be thinking, um, Emma, of course, being kind and having hope is a good thing, really? But Bernadette has done what you might call a deep dive into both of those things. Back in 2011, Bernadette started a blog called 30, not 30, 366 Days of Kindness. It was a leap year, detailing her account of trying to offer random acts of kindness to strangers every single day for a year. And what she learned very quickly was that kindness spreads really quickly. And while you might not always see or feel the ripples of your kindness, they are indeed out there traveling around the world from where they started. Then there's hope. And Bernadette noticed how kindness and hope went hand in hand. And being an expert in the, in the many and varied benefits of hope and kindness, Bernadette reveals how hope can be nurtured in us all. In fact, she's created something of a manifesto for hope in her latest book, How to Be Hopeful. She's explored where we can look for hope, whether it's in ourselves, in nature, in art, in the kindness of strangers and of collective community actions. And perhaps most important and quite pertinently right now, she explains how to keep hope alive through the challenges we may may face in life. In this conversation, Bernadette shares with me the power of kindness, how her attempts were met with varying degrees of appreciation and how that led her to understand and manage expectations, how kindness given away freely sometimes came back to her, but much, much later and in very unexpected ways, and how hope actually requires real courage as well as action. Ultimately, as Bernadette says, living in hope is a happier way to live. I really enjoyed learning from Bernadette's experience, and so I hope you feel the same way from listening to this episode of the podcast. All the links to Bernadette and her books will be in the show notes, but please join me in welcoming Bernadette Russell onto The Emma Gunn Show. Bernadette 
Jet Russell, welcome to the Emma Gunn Show. It's so nice to see you. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, I'm delighted to be talking to you, Emma. Very happy. It's a real pleasure. You are a writer, a performer and a storyteller. And you are also an ambassador for kindness (laughs) and a beacon of hope. Because this is something, and we'll get straight into it, I feel as though you obviously feel very strongly that kindness and hope are vital components for a a good life and I'm wondering where that how you discovered that because you one would think that would be quite an obvious thing but maybe modern living doesn't make it so easy to really see and feel uh you're absolutely right it is obvious although I think there's some there's good there are many benefits in bringing it to the front of your mind rather than having nestling in the back of your mind. Um, it, this is a bit of a shaggy dog story, so sorry about that, Matt. But basically, back in 2011, in the olden days, um, <laughs> which feels like another time completely, um, in the summer, in the August of 2011, many people remember that riots broke out as a result of the death of Mark Duggan in Tottenham. And I was at the Edinburgh Festival at the time doing a show and I saw on the television screen the riots, the protests, the aftermath of them, buildings on fire. And I was really upset and really horrified. I was horrified by the riots, but I was also horrified by the response, the racist, anti-poor, anti-young response to it. And it was like nobody seemed to be realising that it was this sort of anguished roar of people who hadn't been listened to, which we've seen a lot more of now. For the context of listeners who maybe don't know about that, would you mind just explaining what that was? Sure, yeah. um, Basically, um, Mark Duggan uh, was killed by the police uh, and he he was a young black man living in Tottenham. There was a peaceable sort of protest that grew up around his, that developed around his death and that became turned into riots and London was on fire and it spread to Birmingham and Bristol and many other places so it was just an outpouring of rage and grief um you know you can see the line between that and the sort of black lives protest uh, uh, protests that we see now um so it was this family's grief to losing uh, their son and his friends uh, grief to losing their friend um and it grew into this explosion of sort of riots and burning buildings um and lots of places were destroyed and it affected a lot of people um and for me it i was worried about london because i live in london and i love london and i was worried about my friends who were in tottenham so in the in the thick of it and affected by it um but also i was like what on earth can we do about all these seemingly insurmountable problems all this rage all this pain all this hurt and that came on top of worrying about climate worrying about levels of global poverty all of the things that we all worry about that form this sort of tinnitus of anxiety that's constantly with us um all of us you know everybody worries they might worry about all of those things but some of those things I felt completely overwhelmed and I also thought what on earth can I do to help the, the scale of the problems seemed so huge. The scale of the riots seemed really huge. Towards the end of the uh, the period of time that the riots were happening, a man who's since become a friend of mine, Dan Thompson, started a thing on Twitter called Riot Cleanup. And loads of people got their brooms out and got involved in cleaning up 
their cities. And there were lots of amazing things that happened. All sorts of communities got involved. Everybody got involved. In Peckham, a beautiful post-it note-inspired Peckham Peace Wall grew up with people saying, we love our community, let's not burn it to the ground. So there were loads of positive things. So alongside seeing all this understandable grief and pain, I also witnessed a lot of communities coming together in a lot of hope and kindness and goodness and people, you know, offering to replace things that people had lost during the riots. There was Everything was on display. But in the midst of this, I was just like, what on earth can I do? I'm just like a hoofer. I don't, I'm just a performer. I don't know what I can do to help. Um, so I was on the bus thinking about this, like you do, and I, I went to the post office. And there was a boy in front of me in the queue, and he had his hoodie up, and he had his trainers on. And I remember thinking, gosh, I bet everyone's assuming that you're one of the rioters, because there was a lot of sort of anti-young people mm. media at the time. I thought, I bet you've had a really horrible time, people assuming you were one of the rioters. And he didn't have enough money to pay for his um, stamps for his, I think it was his driving license application. And I heard him, so I said, oh, I ha- here you go, I've got 50p. And he was like crazily grateful. It was just 50p. He was so com- really grateful. And I thought, I found it really touching. I thought, well, I can do that. I can do that. I can give that person that I've not, not met 50p, which hopefully helps him and might make him think that the world's not, so terrible which I know sounds really naive but I thought well at least I could do that so I came home in my usual reckless (laughs) impulsive way and I thought yeah I'll do that every day (laughs) but I'll start off trying to do it for a year so I got home and I said to my partner I've just done this act of kindness I'm going to try and do it every day for a year and see if that can change the world but I literally said it that boldly Mm -hmm. he was like okay (laughs) and uh, I did it was all good August the, 11th, August the 18th 2011 and I started the next day and I made myself these wild rules like it had to be something different every day it always had to be a stranger um and that started me off and I think through practicing daily kindness what happened the most important thing I think happened was that I noticed kindness so what I did was 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 hopefully helped people and put a smile on people's faces but more importantly I noticed for sure for real that the world is fueled by kindness which is love the world is fueled and run on kindness and love and even though we might notice in the course of the day the fact that somebody touts at us as we accidentally step in front of them throughout that day we will have 20 have had 20 30 other tiny kind acts of kindness and uh we have to fix that because we kind of tend to notice the negative rather than the many many positives so, yeah, I just noticed how much kindness and love and good humour and community spirit there was in the world and have continued to do so. And even though the problems have mounted, of course they have, and some problems that we're facing are really grave and they're massive, I still believe that hope lies in kindness and hope lies in taking action. And even if those actions are really small, because everybody can do a little thing, so it's empowering, I think. Um, yeah, so that's it. So it's a bit of a long story. And it, so it's carried on ever since. And kindness kind of led me to hope because I think it's a bedrock of hope. Because practicing kindness and witnessing kindness and understanding that's actually what's happening in the world. That the world's provocated on and run on on kindness and love um, can give you hope if you let yourself see it. And we saw it during lockdown, right, Emma? Mm. We saw loads of it. We saw, um, you know mutual aid groups springing up people helping their neighbors we saw videos of 
lovely boys delivering care packages to vulnerable elderly people in their communities. We saw people volunteering to help the NHS. We saw just all over the world incredible um, community spirit and kindness. We saw for real what we were what we're capable of and I think people gained hope from that. I hope they did. And I think we need to hold on to that now. Mm. With a slightly different time which requires a different adjust. So it's what was really interesting for me is you with these acts of kindness, um, how it actually allowed you to see kindness around you. And I think sometimes we can be so, I don't know about you, but for me personally, and I've said this before in the podcast, I almost go out into the world with a protective shell around myself. My brother once saw me, we weren't meeting, he, but we bumped into each other. And he said, I was scared to come over because of your Force 10 bitch shield, because I don't, necess- I don't want to invite anyone to take my handbag or, you know, any of these things that as a woman out on her own, they're, they're you know, bubbling at the back of your mind, just like self-protection. But that has meant that I've gone out into the world and I, I was chatting to someone recently and I said, I think it means that I've missed things. Yeah, it is okay though. I think it is okay to protect yourself. Mm. I think that's okay. But it is also good to acknowledge that that means you might miss things. I also think I talk about this a lot because I do talk to people a lot and do sort of workshops about kind of kindness as an activism, if you like. It's it's quite an extrovert practice that I did, mm. and I'm not an extrovert, so it's it's like it's okay to to not particularly want to engage and to protect yourself for all sorts of reasons. But you're right in saying that you can miss out. But one thing that, one really interesting thing that came up when I was researching hope was the discovery that actually, in a way, it's not our fault. We, The reason we notice negative things and perhaps don't notice positive things is because we, are, we have evolved to survive. So we have to notice the things that might threaten us. So that's a good thing, right? We do have to notice the things that threaten us. So it's useful to, even if you've got your shield up, have it, you know, have it up. But within that, just allow yourself to see, to notice the person that helps the other person carry their suitcase up two flights of stairs. Allow yourself to notice the lady in the park that's taken her crust of bread down to feed the birds. It's just allowing yourself to notice, to to allow yourself to receive the gift of witnessing that, I think if that makes sense. It does. And actually, funnily, I was thinking the other day um, how we see all these adverts on television for how to protect yourself from scammers, where there's a blame, there's a claim. And we're sort of surrounded by all these images of these terrible things happening and what you can do. And I I feel like that's led to a culture of not saying sorry. Because legally, if if you have a prang with someone in your car and you say sorry, they're taking accountability. And so they can be the ones who have to foot the bill and I was thinking wouldn't it be great if there were a series of adverts for if you you know have a prang with somebody or if someone cuts you off on the road instead of because I don't know about you but if you look out on the road you see people swearing at each other and what have you and horns blaring what if there were just a series of adverts where everyone's went sorry mate and just went on about their day that would be amazing Emma (laughs) that would be amazing but I think you've hit something right is that we are collectively, I'm convinced, a little bit wary, weary of this messaging, which is fear-driven. Mm. Messages from adverts, not all adverts, but from a lot of adverts and a lot of the media, not all of the media is, be afraid of be afraid of each other. People are, 
people ain't no good, like Nick Cave probably didn't sing, and <laughs> that kind of thing. And that actually, we're all a bit weary of that. It's a bit, I think it's got a bit boring and a bit old. And and it's also lacking in humour and just lightheartedness. So I think your adverts are brilliant. If I was super rich, I would just make them tomorrow. Um, <laughs> friend, me and my friend of mine, Sadie, recently with a brilliant company called... Um, People United, who are based in Canterbury, we designed, which sort of relates to this, we designed these hope billboards. They're kind of fantasy hope billboards, which at the moment we've just photoshopped onto billboards because we don't know how we might be able to afford to actually pay for the billboards. But they, with your advert thing in mind, like, what about if billboards and at bus stops and in phone boxes or on signs everywhere, it was more like, hi, everyone. How, what do you hope for for the future? How are we going to get there? Uh, talk to the person that's standing next to you in the bus stop. Or, you know, it's kind of playful, philosophical, that public wording, like adverts or like signs, could encourage good humour and conversation and maybe questions mm. instead of what they do do, which deliver a message. They don't ask you to think. They just say, have you been in an accident? Ring this number. <laughs> you know. They just deliver messages or tell you off or tell you to tell someone else off. So I think, yeah, there's this huge potential, isn't there, for adverts, for news to be differently, to be different. And for me, it's about storytelling. It links back to storytelling. Let's have a different story. Mm. Stop telling stories. Boring. There is a different story. There are many different stories out there. And kind of encouraging and fostering this fear narrative it's getting us into a bit of a mess. It's making us really scared of each other. It's making us scared of the world. And the danger is, is that we'll freeze, that we'll be so scared of each other and of everything that we'll freeze. And we can't freeze, right? We have to get on with it and do things. And whether that's just saying, you're all right, mate, as you said, <laughs> when someone else, that's enough. That's yeah. a little bit of love right there, isn't it? Mm. In that I'd love to make your ads. Oh, I'm going to add. Oh my god, I'm going to add that to our billboard wish list with People United. <laughs> well, the reason I thought of it is because I recently signed up to TikTok, this social media platform, which I've since deleted because I wasn't following anybody. So when I went onto it, it was just showing me, it was showing me what I thought I wanted to see, which was really quite stunning because I definitely didn't want to see it. But every time I went in, it was showing me essentially people having rows in Walmart about not wearing face coverings and people filming two other people having an argument. And I remember I watched a few and I thought, I feel terrible. I feel really bad. And now I, that's my template for what to do if I see somebody in the supermarket not wearing their face mask. The only experience I've had of it is via this. And it's people having a row and shouting and calling out someone's political leaning because it was showing me stuff from America. So I deleted it and I don't want anything to do with it anymore. But what I'm curious about, so that first time you ever did the act of kindness with that 50p for the, the young lad in the post office, he was obviously super grateful. And you said that you said all of these acts of kindness had to be different in some way, which sounds good because otherwise it, you could have bankrupted yourself. I did, Nick. Oh, that first year was very expensive, which <laughs> I do not recommend. <laughs> But I wonder how people, obviously this boy was really grateful, but how did people receive it? And did you ever have to explain, I'm being kind to you? 
Yeah, it was interesting. Actually, my friend super helpfully very early on because I said I'm not an extrovert, even though I'm, I'm a performer. That's kind of different. As my normal self, I'm quite in a wig. I'm fine, Emma. But as myself, I'm quite shy. And uh, and my friend said to me really early on, what you should do is say to people, oh hi, I hope you don't mind me bothering you. I'm trying to do a good deed every day. And everybody was like, oh okay, yeah, that's amazing. Oh, what are you doing? Uh... And so what happened was. Um, they 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 asked me the story. They asked me my story, and I told them the story. And I and I'd say even I, I feel a bit shy and a bit awkward. But would you accept this little gift, or can I help you? And they'd say yeah, and I'd say oh thank you, and they'd be like oh you gonna am I gonna be part of the story? And I'd say yeah, if you want to be. And often I take a picture of them if they didn't mind. Sometimes they did didn't want to do that, and that was fine. So I think again it's about the sort of power of story and being having the courage and it did take courage everyone knows what a good deed is right because they will have probably done it at school or they'll have learned about it you know their mum will have told them about a good deed so I think once people understood that they were fine and in that first year which was 366 days because it covered a leap year only one time did someone not like it oh yeah and it was at Euston station but to be fair it was a poor choice on my part. <laughs> I think the poor person was running for a train. And I also think that um, they might have, there was a lot of people kind of selling stuff like mobile phone deals. And so I think it might, they might have been just, um, but it's not a bad statistic. Is it one out of 366? That's not bad at all. There were a couple of other people that resisted, but I kind of persevered and explained, but that was the only out and out no. So I think, yeah, people do understand now, everybody, you know, it's a big conversation, acts of kindness. I think people know, you know, you can buy a T-shirt in New Look that says kindness is cool. So that's great. So people kind of know it's more part of the conversation. Um, and now I've been sort of talking to people about, about hope and trying to encourage people to think about what they hope for the future and why they find hope as well and kind of connecting that with kindness as well and that's been interesting Emma, because people they gravitate they say well I do want to feel hopeful but actually and then they say the negative thing so I think there's work for us all to do there any of us who can help when I was reading the book I was thinking about hope and I feel like my interpretation of it is that never think that the thing the situation you're presented with is now concrete and cannot be changed. And I think that that part of my character has got me into trouble sometimes because I've walked into, whether it be work scenarios, and said, right, we're here now, but I think we can get here. And you get met with a wall of silence or a wall of no. But I th- so for me, hope is quite a scrappy quality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. how you feel about it. Yeah, it, it can be, it sounds like it can be something as well. You you sometimes have to stride out alone, you know, You um, but if you do stride out alone towards the hope destination, I'm going to go with this metaphor, um, if you do stride out alone, people will follow you. Absolutely, they will. They'll be, so sometimes I think if you say, do you know what, I really think that we could plant a load of trees in the local park. Let's just ask the council and you're met with a sort of wall of, yeah, what, I don't know, I've got to go and get my tea. <laughs> if you go ahead and do it, 
people will we keep people will join you I think so sometimes you just have to stride forth if you've got if you've got the energy if you, if you can do it so hope is but I think you 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 nailed something as well which is the hope that I am talking about is hope that requires action so it's not just sort of wishful thinking that's got a lovely place as well I'm all again I'm all for blowing out a candle and making wish because I think it helps you see what you want but I think the where we are now probably always have been but particularly now you have to let yourself hope and give yourself the gift of allowing yourself to imagine what you hope for and then do something and allow that thing to be little so it's not exhausting again sometimes I think you know, you can think to yourself, well, how can I stop the Australian bushfires? Well, you probably can't on your own unless you've got a massive hose. But no, that's not even funny. You can't. But you can, you know, decide to cycle instead of drive. Mm. So there's sort of humility in taking action in hope as well. Yeah, it's being humble and just saying, okay, not superwoman, superman or wonder woman, but I can not buy plastic bags. So, yeah, I think there's, there's scrappiness in there, definitely. There's striding out sometimes on your own. And do you know what? I think it's really important to find fun in it. I think that's really important. So it doesn't feel self-punishing. So you're not like, oh, I've got to give up all the food I like so that I, look, I'm buying food that doesn't hurt the planet. You can... You could, for example, say if you wanted to change your diet because you wanted to be, to be more environmentally friendly, instead you could think, I'm going to find some really amazing recipes and make myself delicious dinner mm. instead of writing a list of things to give up. So I think pleasure and fun are really important parts of hope as well. And I learned that from a brilliant um, person called J.P. Flintoff who wrote a lovely book called How to Change the World, but he kind of encourages you to find joy in that where you'd find your joy in changing the world if that's what you want to do and I think that's good too I wonder I mean uh you're on social media you must see all the sort of there's been a real uh, uptick in memes and you know if you can be anything be kind and all of these things yeah. do you think that I mean it's one thing to post a meme post a picture saying if you can be anything be kind but it's another thing to actually be kind yeah. And with the with kindness and also with hope. Do you have any because I think people might say yeah I'm kind. Yeah, I would say I'm hopeful. But are there any sort of check boxes or was there anything you had to change about yourself when you were doing the um the 366 days? Was there any point where you thought I actually just have to check in and understand what what I understand to be kindness before I can actually go out and be kind in the world yeah well the, the journey the practice taught me a lot about it and without sounding horribly pompous it made me consider a sort of holistic form of kindness for example one day I bought I went to Lidl and I bought a bunch of flowers for my neighbour as I was taking it around to my neighbour I looked at the wrapping and I was like okay this is single use plastic and these flowers are cheap, but they were flown in from, I think they might have been flown from South Africa. So on the route, I forgave myself. I was like, that's, I'm not sure about the holistic kindness of that, because that's a that's plastic's going to end up in the sea. Mm. That's a long way for those flowers to come. 
And actually, my neighbour wouldn't mind if I just picked the wildflowers out of my garden and wrapped them in a bit of tissue. And so I think kindness is a profound and deep practice that you that can expand, that's ever expanding. And again, that doesn't have to be, you know, I didn't give myself a hard time about that. I was just like, hmm, okay, yeah, I probably won't buy single-use plastic-wrapped flowers that have been flown from South Africa because although that is kind to my neighbour, it's not kind to the environment or the sea, etc. Mm. Possibly not even to the people that grew it in South Africa. You know, there's all sorts of... So it's deep practice, and it's... and But alongside that, I think you have to make sure you're being kind to yourself, you'll make mistakes. Some days you'll be really grumpy and you'll shout at someone, and that's okay because we're just people, and we sometimes say and do grumpy things I'm so hot-headed Emma you know you know and during that year I sometimes I've noticed that I'd sort of been cross with people in fact a couple of times I ran after someone and said I'm really sorry that I'm I'm sorry I didn't mean to um get in your I I found myself noticing sort of forgiving myself for unkindness and 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 addressing it with the Mm. person that I've been unkind to so that's interesting but yeah I think it's I, I like that there are memes everywhere. I like that the words everywhere because I trust that it enters into our subconscious in quite a good way. I like that there's be kind posters on the tube everywhere because I think it might normalise it. And I trust that people are acting on it. Mm. I choose to trust that. It doesn't mean they're doing it all the time. doesn't mean we're perfect. And we have to also be kind to ourselves. And that's part of it as well. But yeah, thinking about it as a whole and accepting that it's a lifelong learn, I think it's a good thing. It's really good fun because you um, you see, you get happier, you get massive boosts of oxytocin and serotonin, free drugs, <laughs> free um, non-harmful drugs, uh, and you and you, you feel connected. You kind of feel. It feels like a spiritual practice to me, which I know that word puts a lot of people off, but in the sense that it's a spiritual in the sense that it connects you with the world. It connects you with this love current. Mm. And that's, that's, that's a nice thing. I'm curious, though, about expectation and how that fits into this. Mm-hmm. Because I, I will be really honest, and I'm guilty of doing this, where I will think I'm going to do something nice for somebody for no reason and then I do it and maybe they don't respond in the way that I was expecting and that leaves me disappointed <laughs> that is such a brilliant comment and question it, it it's really important consideration as a way of being kind to yourself to protect yourself it's really useful to not have expectations and that is difficult mm. so it's worth really clearly I clearly think before I really want to take this cake around to my friend Anne. I want her to jump in the air and give me a hug and tell everyone about how amazing this cake is. As an using cake, you can see I'm a little bit hungry. <laughs> <laughs> me too, I'm intermittent fasting, Bernadette. I've never been hungry. <laughs> I know. I shouldn't, so a terrible thing to mention. So what I learned early on was, because it's quite crushing, isn't it? You mm. don't get the thing you hope for. The thing... T- the thing to, the useful thing to do is to decide, and it is a decision. This is, 
not going to do any harm. I may not see the good that it does. It might not be the jumping up in the air celebration, but it will do good because my at the heart of it is a good intention. And so it's a sort of faith in that. I mean, a lot of the time as well, I was doing acts of kindness to strangers. I never saw them. I didn't, if I gave them a present, I didn't see them open up. I never saw them. And occasionally during the year, through the magic of social media, people got back to me like months later and said, you changed my life or you brought me out of a house and extraordinary things. And so, which I can tell you about. But, but so what I understood from that, as I thought, I would never have known with that little interaction that anything happened. They just went, mm, thanks. But it did. Right. And so all of them have done. And so I think to protect, just to be kind to yourself, it's like, I'm going to do this. Nothing might happen, but I'm, de- I'm going to decide that because my intention was good, that the outcome will, will be positive, even if the positive is small. Because otherwise you get, you get really, it's really gutting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so you almost have to do it and think, and it ends here, for me. Yeah, it ends here. I've done this thing. I know I've done it with the best of intention. That is good in itself. And and, and I think think sometimes being kind to yourself and being kind to other people is separated, and they're the same thing, really. So just enjoy the, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, I did that good thing, and that's a good thing that's a kind good thing to do I contributed to that goodness okay so go tell us about these people who found you later what was it did you say somebody there was a couple of things so there's a few things but one of my my one of my favorites actually was um so a lovely friend of mine Denise told me about a friend of hers who had had a he was a young man and he'd had a hip replacement operation and he was really depressed she said, can you send him a card because he's really blue and it would just might cheer him up. And I'm a bit of a crafter so um, and, and I do a lot of sort of collage work. So I'm, I spent quite a lot of time making in this card. And for some reason, I cut out a picture. I remember cutting out a picture of Buster Keaton. It was quite glittery and it had a picture of Buster Keaton and stuff. And I wrote him a little note inside and uh, she'd given me his address and I posted it to him and I heard nothing, I don't think. Anyway, about a month afterwards, I think it's hard for me to it's back in the midst of time now. He just contacted me and said, I can't tell you how beautiful that was, how much it, that a stranger could have taken the trouble to send, to make that and send it to me, pulled me out of my depression, made me feel better. And also, I really like Buster Keaton. So that was a bit spooky. Yeah, right. A bit witchy. <laughs> yeah. Then, so he and I met. I went to his house. We then we were interviewed by the BBC because they were looking for stories about strangers having connections. We had the one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
this amazing lovely conversation I made a, I actually made a show about um the kindness project which he was in a little bit um but mainly I was like I would never have known that I might never have known that had he not found me on social media and sort of taken the trouble to to sort of let me know so that was a real lesson and you never know it might be a sort of really good thing and then and a funnier one which really made me laugh was oh this is why it was so expensive Emma I took to leaving five pound notes inside books in the self-help section of independent bookshops and waterstones and written on the five pound note it said treat yourself love from Bernadette 366 days of kindness I left them everywhere I, I must have done it about eight times and eventually one of them on Twitter this man got back to me eight months later and said I just received this five pound note in change from a shop in Nottingham and I'd left it in a shop in London and he went tell it what are you doing this is amazing <laughs> still he said I got it in change and I was like I will treat myself then <laughs> <laughs> so and that was a long time afterwards, eight months afterwards, you know, really long time. And from those I learned, I was great, really grateful to learn the, the sort of playfulness thing was quite good. But also that you never know, you never know what adventures your your intentions and your acts of kindness or your, uh, you never know what you'll leave. And you might as well think the best of it. That's just really reminded me when I was at university, I worked in a gift shop and the guy that I worked with had a new girlfriend who he was obsessed with. And one day he, he just, he thought he would leave messages for her on the money, the paper money in the, in the hope that, or maybe this five pound note, maybe this 10 pound note, maybe this 20 pound note will get back to her. But they were really long, really long, quite involved, like love messages. (laughs) I remember our boss coming in at the end of the day, cashing up and just going, what the hell? Oh, it still makes me chuckle. Honestly, 20 years later, thinking about that. Brilliant. She just read That's this opus. <laughs> like people doing, I kind of quite like that, just playful interaction with the world. It's quite nice, isn't it? Stepping over the boundary of what you should do in well, quite a playful way. Yeah, it's that idea, isn't it? Of just, you put something out in the world and you never know where it'll end up, but it, but it's got an energy and it's travelling. Yeah. It just might yeah. be disconnected from you. Yeah, I do a lot of I I am um, do a lot of just chalking messages everywhere on pavements, everywhere I go. Sometimes they're bits of poetry, sometimes they're just questions. And I like that as well, because I I think someone I, I did some on Parliament Square actually on, on Tuesday. I was like, someone will read that. Hopefully someone will read that and be like, hmm, that's interesting. Um and our house actually People United gave us a big neon be kind sign, which is in the window of my flat in Deptford. And I live on the main road. It's a super busy main road. And that's funny as well, Emma, because often I'll be watching the TV. I can hear people gathered outside, like doing selfies. with <laughs> the most, it, It's nice because no one knows I live there. It's not It's not attached to to us in any way apart from, I like the idea of this, this, this sign going around Instagram everywhere on its own, you know, having its own little life. Yeah, I, I like that very much as well. Now, let's talk really specifically about hope because you've done yeah. a hell of a lot of research into hope. And what I like, yeah. I, I do like evidence-based science. I do like anything with data. And yet I wouldn't necessarily think that um, 
hope would be something that you could uh, chart in that way, that you could actually measure in that way. But you actually did find some interesting studies. And I found actually the, what the interesting one about um, the way children think, their positivity bias, and yeah. I found that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, what was really lovely about that, I think, was because I found some research from... I'm going to I'm gonna look up this lady's name because I'm going to horribly mispronounce it. <laughs> uh, Janet Bavowski. Anyway, she did a sort of research into children's... Um, rose-tinted glasses kind of positivity bias, which interested me and made a lot of sense to me about why... how children probably as a result of needing to grow and find out what children need to do, always kind of think the best, will always try, are hopeful and optimistic. Mm. A lovely friend of mine, Marion Duggan, had experience of working in the camps in Calais and in Greece with refugee children. And her experience on the ground sort of measured the research experience, walked alongside that. So I thought that was really interesting. In what way? Well, Marion just said to me when she was there, so she worked with a company or put, volunteered as a performer for a company called Clowns Without Borders. So they do language-free, funny, playful interactions with children, refugee children in the camps. And she said, what we saw is they'll always find something to play with. They're literally joy seekers. They were, they were making toys out of tent poles and bits of rubbish, which I found incredibly moving. But it's, there's also massive resilience and strength in that that children have that we maybe don't have so much or not so readily. So I became interested in, OK, so kids have this. There's been lots of um, research done by psychotherapists and psychologists into children having this. And my friend's seen this working in quite difficult circumstances. You know, these children aren't in the best of circumstances. So what happens to us? <laughs> You know what? Or how can we can we get that back? What is it? Um, and then I found some interesting research again from um, Dr. Rick Hansen. He'd done some inquiries based on his own noticing his own response. He noticed that even when he nice things were happening, he wasn't allowing himself to enjoy them. Oh, mm. let's unpick that. Yeah. So he started to try and unpick that, and he did some really amazing work looking at the the adult kind of negativity bias the opposite of what children have and I've come to understand through sort of and 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 this research is still ongoing it's by no means um conclusive but what I came to understand that was as kids we have this we're curious we have to be curious because we're learning we're optimistic we try things out we can transform a muddy field into a wonderland we're served beautifully by our imaginations mm. which courage and strength even children in really difficult circumstances. Then once we get to, it sort of seems like around our post-mid-childhood, 8 to 12, we're suddenly like, oh, God. <laughs> we, get, we, we lose the lovely rose-tinted glasses. And he sort of said, I think it's just that we have to survive. That we, that, you know, if you imagine, um, I, tell, I tell a story in the book about a, a woman who goes out for a walk in prehistoric times, She's out for a walk with her friend, having a lovely time, eating berries and mushrooms, having a laugh, singing songs. They have a beautiful day. And then on the way back, she trips over a tree root. When she gets home, the only story she tells around the fire is of the tree root. She doesn't tell about the berries or the sunshine or the rainbow or the fun she had with her friend. And that's because that's what could have killed her. 
So we tell that story and we remember that thing because that's the thing that endangers us. Mm-hmm. And of course, you need to remember things that endanger us. And that's where our negativity bias comes from. But what Dr. Rick Hansen talked about was how actually that's not useful to us because most of us aren't going to die of a minor injury. And he talks about um, pain caused by the long shadows of old pain mm. and how you have to acknowledge that it's not all very useful. It's not always useful to remember the negative because it gets us into a gloomy, maybe even depressed, despairing state where we can lack courage and we lose hope. And if we lose hope, we perhaps don't think we can change anything about our lives to make them better. So he talked a little bit about retraining your brain and how what you do is you, when something good happens, you allow yourself to sort of sit with it. So literally, this is a lovely thing. It's happening right now or it happened to be with it and to recall it and then then it has a chance of transferring to your long-term memory so what you build up is this bank of hope and resilience and beauty and positive things instead of just a bank of gloom and tripping over tree roots um and you can retrain your brains we've done lots of work on this retraining of your brain and again like focusing on kindness for me Emma, focusing on hope saying Look, there's hope there. That's a brilliant, hopeful story. Look at those amazing things that those people are doing. Look at that campaign. Look at that funny thing. Look at the flowers blooming. If you give yourself the gift of allowing yourself to notice hopeful stories and hopeful things, your resilience and your strength, your courage and your happiness will all be vastly improved. And I did it as I was writing it. So I didn't want to, it's all about practice for me. It has to be a I love reading research and I love working with scientists. I've done it a lot, but I also need to be doing it and get my hands dirty. And it really worked, Emma. That was what was amazing because I made a practice throughout the researching of the book of every day I'd look for a hopeful story on the news through social media or on the news every single day. And I'd share it because that felt like a little gift to the world. And then every day I try and notice something that gave me hope. And I, I used to draw it or take a note of it and keep it in a little collection. And so my hope grew because I literally practiced seeking it. And it's a nice thing to do. Mm. You know, it's engaging with the news. And the other thing that I found really helpful was when I was scared of something, and I get scared because I have very, very bad anxiety and have had my whole life. So when I get scared of something, what I did was I thought, you know what? I'm just going to walk towards that scary thing. I'm going to look under the bed or behind the wardrobe door at that scary monster and go, who's doing something about that? So, for example, I was really scared about the level of plastic in the ocean. And I thought, I'm walking towards that. I was really scared. I was like, nothing. And then I found amazing things. Dutch inventors invading these wild, crazy, giant machines to suck up all the plastic from the ocean to turn it into bicycle paths installed on other sides of the world. And and so, yeah, it's about accepting that you're full frightened of things. The world is frightening and there are problems, but there's always someone addressing it. Mm. Amazing. You know, humans are amazing and inventive and courageous and imaginative. I've probably gone way off. No, it's interesting. So, so... What, what happened to me was finding out about the way children respond led me to finding out why we didn't, led me to going, okay, I'm really scared of things. So let's go there instead mm-hmm. of in fear. Let, come on, Bernadette, I said to myself, 
go go there and find out where where hope light where the light is in the dark of that cave of being scared i've spoken about triggering quite a lot on this podcast and the fact that we seem to have developed into this culture where somebody's more likely to say don't do this because it triggers me rather than address the trigger and take the take its power away and i've i've obviously been guilty of that before but now um i had a really fantastic guy on the podcast called jeff thompson who said if something triggers you run at it and it will get smaller yeah i think it's really good advice it's also i think it's it's also good practice in terms of self-compassion to go i am gonna run at that but not today it's okay (laughs) you don't have to necessarily because you know you'll have days when you feel delicate or you're just tired Mm. or actually what you want to do is kind of watch reruns of Buffy Vampire Slayer and you don't want to run towards the trigger that's okay as well but definitely at some point I think it's really worth noting the trigger or the fear and going I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna sort that out yeah don't don't give them the power don't give the monster the power you know our mums or dads if we were lucky would say to us there's no monster under the bed look under the bed it's basically that mm. I think that's a good point with triggers and fear to be fair to us as well as we're constantly told to be scared, aren't we? We're constantly told that. So to counter that that narrative, those messages, I mean, you can you can help yourself a lot as well. I think uh, it made me think about what you were saying about TikTok. I think you can just say, really be quite ruthless about how you engage with the news and with social media. And I, I'm pretty ruthless with it because I'm kind of like. I'll get the news anyway. I watch 10 minutes of the news in the morning. I kind of know what's going on. The rest of the time, I just engage with hopeful, positive, kind, innovative, scientific, compassionate practice. I don't have any dealings with any of the rest of it. I, one of my favourite social media accounts, is, and he's been on this podcast, is Dr. Rupi Ordula, the um, food doctor. And he does a post at the end of the week where it's like 10 slides and it'll be really beautiful, hopeful things, whether it's like grandparents being reunited with their grandkids because they haven't seen them for months because of covid or you know a pet doing something cute and it's always it's a really lovely beautiful story and i really enjoy that because it is so it's actually harder than you would think to find that when we have access to the world via the internet it's harder than maybe it should be to find the beams of light but it's a nice thing to do and what a lovely service for him to do and you and to even just to share that is also serving the ecosystem of hope and 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 compassion which we can all engage with just by sharing a nice story actually and you know a funny animal video is is great as is the story of uh, a, a, you know a kenyan scientist installing solar panels in a remote village or something all of those the whole range of them are really amazing and actually i don't where I rarely get sort of horrendous things on any of my timelines now because I don't. Yeah. Must have affected the algorithm. I just don't do that. So. 100%. And I think it's possible. Sort of try to talk about in the book is the edge lens because I think we can sit in this quite uncomfortable place where we're neither in denial nor are we immersing ourselves in 24 hour rolling horror. There is a place in between those two things where you can just sit with yourself and it's like okay there is this but there also is this um it's a sort of happy medium and the other thing I really like about the observation of hope is 
its relationship with um, imagination. Yeah. And the reason I like that so much, and I've had this conversation with a few friends, I think there is so much to be said for the imagination because, and my argument is always Star Wars. Not that I am actually a big Star Wars fan, but would Star Wars, would George Lucas have come up with the idea for Star Wars had he had computer games, fully interactive toys, or did that generation come up with these brilliant ideas because they used their imagination and made empty baked bean tins into droids, you know? And obviously that's uh, because of what was available back back in the day. Yeah. But the idea of imagination being limitless and how that links to hope, I think is really quite wonderful. Just explain that for us. Yeah, yeah. So I... I... You know, Einstein spoke a lot about the, the power of, of imagination and how important it was. And I like, I suppose I thought about human invention and how that before anything, before Star Wars could happen, as you said, before a light bulb could happen, before an aeroplane could happen, it first had to be imagined. Mm. And though there's a lot of heavy lifting that has to happen after somebody's drawn a picture of a flying machine, granted, someone has to do the graft, it can't happen without it being imagined first. And I also think there's a really important point to be made about noticing your imagining. So noticing that your imagining allows you to think of hopeful, positive things, that your imagining isn't apocalyptic because you we can also imagine you know burning fields or I don't know you know you, you can go there can't you mm. so it's to utilize your the power of your imagination to to um, to imagine hope to see the future that you would like to move towards whether that's for yourself or your community or the world whatever it is and that just to acknowledge that nothing nothing in human endeavor Nothing in the history of human of humankind has anything happened before it was first imagined. So it's really amazing. And I think children can teach us that. Because when I've done workshops with kids, I do a lot of workshops with children about the future. They imagine work because they're not scared. So they won't say, well, I won't, I won't go there because, you know, we can't have talking trees. That's not good. They don't have any of that. Mm. They just imagine things like, I do future works with children and they'll say yeah well in the future there are going to be um there's going to be animals that are hybrids of other animals that go into the sea and suck all the pollution out and then shoot it into space which is a brilliantly wild idea in a way we need to access that again it's borrowing that again from our childhood self so just dare to imagine something really brilliant and amazing and then yeah and then it's like how do we get there so i think imagination can serve hope and possibility and also imagination can allow you to escape the present hardship if there is hardship happening right now and not in a not necessarily in an escapist way although it can help you to manage the hardship of the present but also in a way of going I'm not going to be stuck here in this dark place in this difficult place I can imagine a time when I won't be stuck here I interviewed a wonderful man called Tom Hart Dyke and he was in, got himself in a terrible situation 
where he was sort of kidnapped uh, by... Oh, the gardener. Yeah, yeah, in the Darren Gap. And uh, he, he wrote a book about it called um, Cloud Garden. He was in it, you know, literally in the middle of the jungle being held at gunpoint by by teenage soldiers who were threatening to kill him. Uh, just, to, just listeners, in pursuit of an orchid... Yes, he'd gone looking. He's an absolutely adorable man. He'd gone looking for orchids uh, because he was, a, you know, he's a big plant fan, a botanist. He'd been told several times, including by the rough guide, not to go to the Darren Gap. He went there recklessly, which is sort of be- something beautiful about that. Him and his friend got themselves in terrible trouble, got kidnapped for a ransom. And every day he said to me, when I talked to me, when every day I thought I was going to die. And my imag- imagining this garden that I was going to create when I escaped, imagining a future where I wasn't on my knees with a gun pointing to my head in the dirt, in the jungle, a little bit hungry, got me through the next day and the next day and the next day. And to be in such extreme circumstances, I mean, I can't even imagine, I haven't been anything like that, to use the power of his imagination. He he actually, obviously, because I spoke to him he, he escaped that situation and he planted his garden, which you can go go and visit. Um, so I think I learned from him as well about the power of imagination in extremists. And I learned from thinking about how planes were invented from, you know, beginning of kites in, in, in China in the 7th century to Leonardo da Vinci sketching crazy machines on the back of a piece of parchment to where we are now. To human invention. I think it's really important right now for us to individually and collectively imagine a future, you know, because we don't know what's coming. It could be wonderful, but maybe the first thing we need to do is imagine what we hope for the future. Just what would we like? What kind of world we want? How do we want to live? Uh, How do we want to organise ourselves? What do we want our cities to look like? All of that. Mm. I think if we use that first of all and allow ourselves to imagine something positive and bright, then we work out, okay, how are we going to get there? I'm really curious. First imagine first, I think. Yeah. I'm really curious um, what you feel about no. And by no, I mean no culture, which is this is how we've always done it. Therefore, that idea, that new idea or that new way of thinking, that's a hard no. Um, I've worked in environments where that very much no has been the word I've heard the most. And you realise when you come out of that place how uh, stagnant that environment therefore is for everybody within it, whether they realise it or not. And I wonder how no and hope uh, are linked in your research. That's really interesting. Um, So uh, it's a little complex, but I would say in that circumstance, if if you're presenting a new idea and you're being met with no that's a fear response isn't it and it's an understandable it's understandable that fear response it made me think Emma of improvisation exercises so yeah and yes and but there's a, there's another exercise which is no but so it's you play the same game so instead of yes and when someone presents a bit of a story and you say and you go with it um, you say no, but um, and there's still a lot of play in that actually. So I was thinking maybe if you're met with no to a hopeful proposition for change, the way to go is sort of 
go with it, go with the no, and say, okay, no, but what about if we, so it, I think maybe no has to be met with compassion because no probably is about fear, which is totally understandable, fear of change or fear of things falling apart, fear of disintegration, etc. Um, and I think we, we can do that as well, can't we? We can say no to ourselves or no to change because it's uncomfortable and stuff, even if where we are is uncomfortable and painful. So I think maybe if you're met with no in order to travel from that to hope, is to is to stay in that space with a person that's saying no to you and say, okay, but, and then feels like a sort of sales pitch to get to hope from no, doesn't it? Mm. But maybe it's about not being cross with each other about that no response, that the compassionate response is to maybe say, yeah, I know what you mean. That that sound, it sounds like it wouldn't work, doesn't it? Mm. I wonder and if we sort of go to the no if that makes sense so I wonder what do you think I always try to say to people what do you think and really listen especially if they're saying no especially if the proposal that I've done I think will make things better I always say okay so what, why do you think that might not work or what do you think might happen if we do that and then just kind of gently unpack it I suppose mm. I think even if you can get from no to maybe, that's a start. I think accepting that things might not happen quickly just because you want them to is okay. And sometimes we probably just have to accept people saying no for a bit. Yeah, it's playing the long game, isn't it? I think so, yeah, with, with all of it. And that's and I think that's a really interesting that's an interesting point to make because it feels at the moment that we're in this time of great urgency. We have to stop climate change now. We have to address systemic racism now, and we do. But we also have to, alongside that, we also have to accept that some people need a lot of coaching and coaxing and persuading because they're scared. And we can be angry with them about that of course we can but they still need that organizations structures individuals so it's kind of trying to do the things we can do quickly and accepting that some things take longer I think mm. it's funny I was speaking to a friend of mine um Gaylene Gold who's on my podcast last week she's fantastic and she was talking about how about having time to think slowly about things and how that feels important, but also kind of audacious at the moment because it feels like we need to do everything really super quickly, change everything super quickly. So I think that's attached to maybe no comes up when you ask people to do things too quickly for them. And so they can't, they can't feel positive or hopeful about that change being a good thing because it's too quick. Mm. So maybe there's something about as about a more compassionate interaction which is going along with someone at their pace yeah and it's so funny you say that I've just written down and you've just said it again compassion because I know our time together is drawing to an end but I do want to just quickly ask you about this and it brings me back to the first act of kindness with the the young lad in the post office applying for his driving license um so for example groups of young boys might make a lot of us I live in a village and there are various times of the weekend these groups of lads 
ride around on their bikes with no care for the highway code, Bernadette, I'll tell you this. And I can feel myself becoming one of those people who doesn't doesn't like them. And so I'm looking at them a certain way and I'm making huge, huge assumptions about what they are and what they're thinking and that they're up to no good and all this kind of stuff. And then I had a, a guy on the podcast recently, a really inspirational chap called John McAvoy, who was in prison. I don't know if you know who he is. The, he was an armed robber serving two life sentences in prison. And now he's just this reformed character. And it made me go out and I looked at the world through their lens. And I thought, yeah, if I was a teenager now, okay, I don't know what it's like to be male, but if I was a teenager now, the options that, that they have available to them or that I had available to me at their age aren't available to them. Life is a lot harder at that age because all of these things, and it just completely softened how I viewed them. And I guess that, she says, doing a showbiz, <laughs> that's compassion. <laughs> jazz hands i love it jazz hands compassion mm. yeah and it's it's allowing i think it's really good to observe to just say hmm i made a judgment on that person i got angry i made assumptions of course you do that's human you can't help but do that but it's really useful to take a beat and to notice because your assumptions aren't knowledge they aren't fact they're prejudices which we all have their biases, which we all have. So I think, one, that's that's good to notice that. Also have compassion for yourself for being scared or irritated because you might be trying to walk on a pavement. I was yesterday, actually, with a lot of bikes as well. And I found myself getting a bit irritated. And I was like, the same as you, Emma. I was like, these poor kids have got nothing to do, got nowhere to go, and they've just been cooped up for goodness knows how long. So, yeah, it's taking a beat to recognise what you're thinking, to sort of question it and just, yeah, just use imagination to lead you to compassion which will lead you which does lead to hope I think because the more we understand each other can see each other's point of view the more hope we have of sort of peace and unity and moving together and cohesion and communication mm. and all of those things because it's really okay to sometimes gently say can you be careful when you're riding just because that made me jump you know you, there are ways of you don't have to either or. You don't have to completely tolerate something or shout at someone. It's also thinking. It's just recently, whilst I was reading the book as well, I was thinking, because of my prejudices, because I didn't have compassion, I wouldn't have extended kindness to them, even if they needed it. And that's that was the sort of <laughs> the cogs that suddenly fit together in my mind of, oh, life's already quite crappy. And I'm adding to it without even meaning to add to it. I'm adding to it. It's really useful to, I know it's a cliche, it's a bit of a fridge magnet, but <laughs> the whole thing everybody's fighting battle you know nothing about is something I say to myself every day because it's always a useful truth, but it's particularly useful now because goodness knows what people are going through, who's died, who's got sick, how they got bored, how they're living with people that they aren't getting on with how they can't pay their rent, all of those, the many, many, many things that people don't have a chance to say when they've got a mask on on the bus or when they're cycling past. So I think kindness is always effective and actually serves you as well, doesn't it? Because mm. if you're kind, if, you, if you're kind, you will always, 
you will always have the knowledge that you've been kind. And that <laughs> sounds really simple, but you can be like, that was a tricky situation. I coped with it with kindness. That's a good thing. You did a good thing. Even if, you know, you're kind and it doesn't get, as we discussed earlier, the, yeah. the result that you wanted. It, it's always right, I think, because it serves you as well. So, I love that. Kindness is always effective. When was the last time you saw a 100% effectiveness rate on anything? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it, I think, it, as I said, because you get a you get a rush from it. So even in the worst possible case scenario where for some reason it doesn't have the effect you intended on the person, it will have the effect on you if you saying, I did my best then. Mm. It's 100% effective. This has been such a treat, Bernadette. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I have to say the experience of reading your book and of engaging with what you put out into the world is lovely. So thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you, Emma. So lovely to speak to you. Maybe see you again one day. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. Lots of love. Have a brilliant day. And you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you would like to get in touch with me, please do email me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. Please don't be shy. If you fancy something a little bit more informal, then why not drop into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Or you can chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast by joining the Facebook group. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Thank you so much for your time. I'm I'm always so honored that you share it with me. I will see you on the next one. Bye.